listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. long overdue i started a series a little while ago what do you know it was april 28th 2021 it's amazing amazing the older i get how fast time or time seems to speed up like it's just it's just the way i guess it goes my grandmother actually told me that she lived to be 95 years old veronica yuri out of Butler, Pennsylvania, all her life, um, German woman, all German, and super close to to the Lord Jesus Christ, and and kind of like the family matriarch. And she wasn't perfect; she had a temper and all that stuff. But she set the tone for my family and really telling the truth, and like holding people accountable. And um, I've learned that from her. Like I, I try to hold myself accountable to, you know, my wife, my family, my friends. And so I like that embedded into pharmacy podcasting and podcasting in pharmacy, podcasting for my favorite providers, um, our pharmacists. So when I put together the pharmacist and physician opioid collaborative podcast series, we launched it, like I said, April 28th, 2021. And we started off with an interview that featured an organization called um, PROP, Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing. And we interviewed uh, Dr. Jane Ballantyne and Dr. Andrew Kolodny. And they gave a perspective. They gave kind of a real good kind of first definition of the whole opioid usage crisis and collaborating with physicians a little bit and just some kind of like stage setting. And then we did our second episode with um, one of my favorite pharmacists, and um, he's part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Dr. Mark uh, Garofoli, and he's the clinical assistant professor at WVU School of Pharmacy. And he came on and he talked with uh, Dr. Kolodny, came back and uh, Dave Morgan, he's a pharmacist at a uh, health system, and he had that background. And then one of the coolest people I've ever met on Twitter, and I'm going to meet him someday, I absolutely promise um, we will meet Dr. Will, is Dr. William Amarque, and he's a clinical pharmacist at Florida Regional Hospital. And he gave us a whole nother perspective on the first go at treatment and collaborating with physicians. And we're going to bring him back because we have much more to unpack. Well, there's an article that was published in the, um, in the NIH.gov news section, uh, the National Institute of Health. And it was dated on January, 2021. It was called Physician Pharmacist Collaboration May Increase Adherence to Opioid Addiction. And it's going to increase kind of this whole medication treatment perspective. And sure enough, pharmacists are part of that. So they get to really dig in to um, treatment, which I think is a much needed. I think everybody that's ever been addicted to an opioid should have a pharmacist on their team that they can go to just like their physician and ask questions about metabolization and allergic reactions and uh additives like should i be taking a b12 should i be um getting a a medical marijuana card for um for sativa blend or something that brings my moods up and so what i'm getting at is you know what we're missing on this podcast series which i'm so excited about um is the patient perspective for god's sake right we can't just continue blindly researching and the whole evidence-based medicine comes into play 
because you have to get the patient involved in what's going on. And, and that's why I am so excited. So we have Bev here. I've been on Twitter with Bev now. We just figured out before we started recording. So this is Bev Schetzman, and she's the patient advocate at Don't Punish Pain Rally, which, um, and we met on Twitter and we started talking back in April of uh 2021 and we were just saying how fast time goes my goodness gracious bev thank you so much for coming to the pharmacy podcast nation to talk yeah, about thanks for having me I'm you're very welcome give our listeners just some background on you so i um i'm 45 years old i'm married i have two girls 17 and 13. i've had um crohn's disease for two to three decades um, and I was never a patient advocate until I had a bad situation that happened to me in the hospital. Um, and that got me kind of researching and looking into it. And so I kind of fell into it like that and just have learned a lot along the way. And, um, it's all volunteer. I mean, I don't, I don't work, uh, have a job with this, but it is what I do with my time for sure. And I've, I've become extremely passionate about it. I really, um, uh, like you said, I mean, I'm not even used to anyone even saying we need the patient's perspective. Like no one ever asks the patient what we think. We're just kind of shoved out of it. And so I'm I'm really excited to be here. Well, before we started recording, we were really just trying to unpack how we got here. And I kind of want you to start there. So okay. let's start. Let's start with your own situation. And I want okay. you to be as open but not as open as you want so if you don't want to say anything it doesn't matter you can pull back but i just want you to tell us the basics of okay. from a from a medical treatment perspective of what you went through and then start okay. filling in the blanks of where you were being overlooked in okay. regards to really having a say in in your own treatment um so i have crohn's disease like i said um and with that i get uh, pretty frequent kidney stones um in 2017, I had kidney stones. I did have pain medication at home, which I always did, but I wasn't able to keep them down. So um, I ended up going to the emergency room. Um, and this is something I'd done many times before. The emergency room doctor was uh, very kind and compassionate. She treated my pain and nausea, did tests and all of that. And she decided to admit me for pain control, actually. Um, which wasn't abnormal. Uh, so she admitted me, then the hospitalist came in the room, um, which is what they do. And um, he actually didn't even introduce himself to me. He just walked up to me and said, I see in your prescription history, you've gotten out of before, why? So I was like, well, I mean, it's for PTSD, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here for kidney stones. So I, I was very confused. And he's like, well, I need to know what the PTSD is from. And I was like, well, it's from like childhood abuse. And he was like, I need to know specifically, was it childhood sexual abuse? And I said, yes, it was. And he said, well, because of that, I cannot give you IV pain medication. I can't give it to you. And I was like, what are you even talking? I mean, I had never been told that before. I never had an issue with it before. I had my pain medication in a bottle with me to show, because things had already started to get a little odd in the climate where you were, patients were always looked at as drug seeking, no matter what. So I brought my medicine with me so I could show him I wasn't asking for a prescription. Um, and then he went on to tell me that uh, childhood abuse changes your brain chemistry, as does IV opioids. The two together were just too high of a risk of addiction. He couldn't be part of that and then told me I would thank him someday. So, um, he, you know, he then went on to say, if things, I'll admit you, if things don't work, we'll give you what you need. Just trust me. Um, and that's kind of where, it, where it ended. And so I was admitted, uh, things didn't get better and they didn't help me. In fact, it was the worst 24 hours I'd ever spent in a hospital. And I have spent, I was in the hospital one to two, uh, times a month for probably a decade. So I had a lot of experience in the hospital, sometimes over a month at a time. 
this 24 hours was the worst I'd ever had in my entire life. It was horrible. And this was a teaching hospital. So they had um, the next day when the, when the doctor came, uh, the different hospitalist came in, he had like all these people with him that he was teaching. And I just, I'd never been, honestly never been so humiliated in my life. It was awful. Um, so the next day the hospitalist came in and, and he was saying the same thing and he, but he was treating me horribly. And one thing I forgot to say, when I was in the uh, emergency room and the hospitalist came in, I did ask him some questions. I was like, do you think I'm faking? And he's like, no, we have your test results. We see you have multiple kidney stones. I know you're not faking. And I was like, okay, so do you think that it doesn't hurt? He's like, no, obviously I know it hurts. They're in your ureter, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so what is it? Do you think that I have an addiction problem? He said, no, I don't think you have an addiction problem. The entire reason is because of your childhood. So that had happened in the, in the emergency room. Well, the next day, um, the hospitalist, a different hospitalist was worse. I mean, he was like, we look in your history and we know how often you've been in the hospital. And we just want to tell you that you can't trick me and you can't hide. And I was like, trick you for what? <laughs> yeah, it was awful. And so I said, look, I have, he said, most people don't even get opioids for kidney stones anymore. And I, and, and I was like, well, I have Crohn's disease. I can't take NSAIDs. That's something that's known with Crohn's disease. It can cause bleeding. And he was like, well, I don't believe that that's true. I was like, okay. And then he was just like pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And I said, you know what? I need to leave because there's no point in me being here. And he said, well, that's something we finally agree on. He said, if, pain, if your pain gets worse, come back. And I said, I would rather die at home from a heart attack than ever step foot in this hospital again. Well, later on, when I got my, my uh, medical records, he actually put in there that I threatened to kill myself if I didn't get IV uh, opioids, which is absolutely false it didn't happen can i just take a, a pause just to make an observance before i forget <laughs> so the transition of the information that that doctor initial physician i'm going to call him doctor when i talk let's call him dr pete the guy that okay. you first saw right yes. so dr pete comes walking in he doesn't introduce himself so you by the way you don't even know he's dr pete but just for the sake of this example, he's Dr. Pete. All right, so asshole Dr. Pete walks in and doesn't address you, doesn't address you know who he is, doesn't tell you what's going on, and he just kind of slams you with yes. this unobservatory you know assumption of a certain case and a certain assumption of what you're going through based on the fact that you have kidney stones. Okay, right from the get-go. Number two. A psychiatrist, a counseling report, a um, uh, something that has been documented in your treatment in, in the past, okay? Let's just make something up for an example. So two years ago, you met with a counselor. They had like a session with you. They determined that you kind of went through this. It's been, you know, verified, or maybe there was a consult with another person or a psychiatrist, whoever. I don't care what it, what provider of services it was. But if that were referenced, right, before someone started spouting off their assumption of what you were going through right from the get-go, they would have been able to say, I'm going to approach this woman differently because of the verified background of what's been documented by other established, respected, or should be respected providers of healthcare services, which includes your pharmacist, your counselor, your psychiatrist, you know, your whatever other things that could have to do with true behavioral health needs. You were in need. Just like if if you broke your leg and you fractured and your bone popped out your your leg, you would get a a specialist that would focus on reconstructing your leg and you're going to be fine and everything's going to be fine. And then the pain manager, that, that's a whole nother podcast, Bev. But <laughs> that didn't happen. So take it from that point and help me dissect this of, of that situation of you being rolled over like a steamroller by assumption. And then I want you to tell me the story about that second provider too, because we need to name him something. 
Yeah. So they admit me. He told me if I um, didn't have my pain controlled overnight, that they would give me what I needed. That was the deal he made. You know, he did hit me on the shoulder, told me I thank him someday uh, for he was protecting me from becoming addicted in the future. Yeah. Um, and so I was admitted. Um, I literally cried the entire time I was there, the entire 24 hours. Like I couldn't stop crying. I was sobbing. I was so, it, it wasn't just pain. I was vomiting and I was so upset at this point. Like I felt so victimized. I really did. And, and here, you know, like I just, I felt like I was being blamed for something that wasn't my fault. Something that happened to me when I was a teenager. And here I was being blamed for it. It was being used as a reason to not treat my pain, which didn't seem fair at all. Um, and so I, I don't know what he told the nurses, but they were all nasty. Like I asked them for pain medication and they said no. And I asked them for Ativan cause I couldn't stop crying. And they're like, I'm not giving you Ativan because you're in pain. Cause that's not it's what it's for. And so I asked to speak to the doctor in the middle of the night. It was a, a different hospitalist. It was a woman. She came in and she said to me, um, you're here for Crohn's, right? Like, so I knew he wasn't putting stuff in my record that made any sense. And I said, I'm not here for Crohn's. I'm here for kidney stones. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm passing several kidney stones. I am here for pain oh control. Gosh. And she was like, okay, I'm going to give you, like, I'll give you pain medication, obviously. Well, that happened when she left. The, doc, the nurse comes in and says she decided against it. So I don't know. Well, I know now what she saw in my record because I've gotten the medical record since then. Um, but it really all that was in my medical records was a little line of, of, of kidney stones are found in the ureters, um, calcium oxalating urine. Oh, the other thing is I had asked them to do a tox screen if they thought I had a problem. And they said they already did a tox screen and I had what I was supposed to in my system. Um, okay. So they didn't give me any kind of pain. They gave me what I was getting at home in a little bit of a higher dose, which I wasn't keeping down while I was in the hospital. And so I continued to cry throughout the night. Um, first thing in the morning, like seven o'clock in the morning is when this new hospitalist comes in, who was an older man who, I mean, it was the worst experience in a hospital with a hospitalist I've ever had. It was horrible. All right. So now we're going to, we're going to shift a gear. Do yep. so you really, <clears throat> you set the stage for our listeners, for our pharmacists out there to really understand what you went through personally as a patient, but now you start becoming aware that you're one of, we have 330 million Americans in this country. Okay. And there are a significant amount of patients today. And I say patients because they've already been receiving some kind of treatment that are going through tremendous amounts of pain in excruciating back pain and foot pain and neck pain and, and operations and blah, blah, blah. And they trusted the healthcare system that they pay for. We pay for this stuff. So I don't give a crap if you're on Medicaid or if you have private insurance or you pay cash or whatever, we're still paying. We're, we're in, in healthcare has got gotten crazy expensive and don't even get me started about pharmacy benefit managers, um, Bev, because that's a whole nother podcast series. It literally is. You have to look it up. It tells the truth about the PBMs, pharmacy benefit okay. managers. So okay. now I want you to take us to the next stage, which now you're starting to see other people going through this. Yeah. And you start kind of digging into why is this happening? You start digging into the system. And as you're digging into the system, you're finding out that physicians are being restricted from even giving their patients what they want because um, treatment has been stigmatized by a whole system that failed itself and failed us. It, well, we didn't build the freaking system. We didn't build the system of, of pain management, of what is evidence-based, journal-related, you know, um, like that, that system has been built. We're not in charge of building it. I'm not in charge of building pain management, Bev. You don't want my pain management because I, I don't know what I'm, I not even know what I was doing. So <laughs> right. now all of a sudden what happened? When did you start realizing and who was it that you started realizing or what organizations were you realizing were missing the boat? We're missing the, the care part of this. I mean, right away, I started researching just that specific idea of why was I denied opioids for being sexually abused. And I that kind of led me to 
one thing led me to the next. Like I learned about um, where that came from. And then I learned about the PDMP and I learned about like, like algorithms like NARC care. And I kind of went backwards from there. And then um, I just, I'm a reader. Like I just researched as much as I could. I wanted to know what was going on because something didn't make sense. Like I had been sick since the nineties. I'd never been treated like this. Something changed prior to 2017. And I wanted to know what it was. Um, so that's when I uh, found out about the CDC guidelines, the 2016 opioid guidelines that came out. Um, and, and, you know, Andrew Kalani is the spokesman. So he was everywhere. Like the, I watched every video I could with him, every, every interview. I watched all of his like, you know, little posse and Alemke and Jane Valentine and all of these people and really tried to learn what was going on. Like, why was this happening? And so I did join an online um, group on Facebook for Crohn's. And that's where I met uh, Claudia. She started, Claudia Mirandi started this um, Don't Punish Pain Rally, which is now um, a nonprofit, the Doctor Patient Forum. And we just, I mean, our goal, we, we put out information the best we can and we try to advocate for these people, but it is heart-wrenching every single day. And you know, Twitter is amazing because I found doctors and pharmacists and, and other people who do treat us with respect. But for the most part, nobody gives a shit. No one cares. No one cares what we think. Even you'll hear like Andrew Kalodney say, oh, well, pain patients, they may even think opioids are helping their pain. But like it's so they call us the lost generation. Kalani actually said in an interview that before they see the benefit of what they're doing, we will all have to die off. That's how they think about us. That's exactly right. what they think about us. And it's, it, it's, it's so offensive. And, and it just, it's like, you can't even believe every day I say to Claudia, I can't believe this is happening in our country. I can't believe it's this bad. So let's go back to the stage that we, you and I both set together. And we said okay. that Dr. Pete yep. walked in the room and he didn't address you. And he didn't really talk to you. He just made an assumption right. on the mass amounts of information. And by the way, Dr. Pete has probably seen a lot of patients. He's probably read a lot of information. He's extremely yeah. intelligent and more intelligent than I'd ever be because I, I couldn't go through that level of, of medicine and knowledge and science. And so I respect Dr. Pete's like education and I respect his, um, experience like his what if dr pete had been in medicine at that time i don't know 20 25 years right yeah. same with dr claudney dr andrew claudney deserves respect for the education and the investment that he's made in himself and blah 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 you know same with our pharmacist our pharmacists deserve i can't stand when i hear about people trashing each other internally like a physician will yeah be yeah. smart to a pharmacist and call them by their first name in front of interns to embarrass them. And this whole, and I know that's humanism and we're all assholes at once in a while and it's what we do to each other. And, but you know what I mean? Like a professionalism thing. So I respect those people and their education, the time they've put in the dedication, but what they're, what they're missing Bev is they're missing the empathetic bedside manner i don't know what the term the technical terminology right. is to look you in the eye yeah and s just give you a slight smirk you know just a, a sincere little smile nothing yeah. too charismatic or crazy because i don't like super duper charismatic people and not like it's not pediatrics where we have to entertain yeah. the child you know don't be condescending yeah. to me but just right. be like there for me as a patient that i'm going through some shit like I'm, yeah. I'm having pain, I'm going through and just treat me like you'd want to be treated as yeah, a patient, a yeah. right? as a person. And yeah, let's, absolutely. let's start there. So what you're saying is, is our first interview, we had Dr. Uh, Andrew Claudney on and then the second one, Dr. Claudney. And the reason why I had him on is because if you research that item and if you research the CDC and you research, like yeah. his name comes up all the time and he's referenced all the time yes. but i think and i and and dr andrew uh or dr Claudney, i i say this res with respect and i hope you're listening that we want the system to work and we want it to work better yes. 
And what we think is missing is the patient perspective, the one that you take the time to truly listen to. I don't know if it's one out of five, Bev, or maybe we put them on some kind of crazy cycle. Do you know what's that called? Batch testing. That's what it is. Bev, we're going to call it batch testing patients, okay? Physicians and researchers and Dr. Kolodny and Ballantyne and, you know, every once in a while, you have to have a come to the table so that we can build your treatment audit on your own way of delivering medicine. And Bev shows up at the table and she says, here's how you initially made me feel which started my treatment out right from the beginning with a lot of disdain and a lot of disrespect. And now I'm thinking, is that the way the second person's going to be? And oh my gosh, now we're batting for two, you know, two strike two. And then your third provider didn't get it either. So I'm going to still call that a strike. So we have three strikes and you're still left with your pain. You're still left with additional expense, additional stress on your life. As we go through life with, every life stress you can come up with and yes along with a tremendous fear of ever going back to the hospital that's what after decades of going to the hospital when i needed it knowing when i couldn't take it anymore i could go to the hospital and get taken care of from that point forward in november of 2017 i no longer trusted our medical system at all when i had i had um kidney stones or i felt like i was developing some kind of like partial bowel obstruction with crohn's i would not go to the hospital i was terrified i was terrified i i couldn't bring myself to go to be treated like that again so um, and so that's policy. you know that's a problem it is a problem and policy is being built where the center for disease control the cdc is now being advised to build treatment a specific way without having an educated, well-assessed entire um, scope and 360-foot view of what the patient is going through. From the evidence-based perspective, which we expect the medical providers to deliver because it's evidence-based, follow the freaking evidence. But then the care side, that's what it is, Bev. It's called health care. Yeah. And the care part seems to be forgotten yes. on every level yeah. <laughs> of health care. <laughs> and yeah. we rush and we say, what is missing in pain management treatment today? Yeah. And I'm not trying to flex and I'm not trying to be the, you know, the pharmacy guy here, but I am. If we inserted a pharmacist into everyone's treatment that was going through pain, okay, and we could get a pain specialist pharmacist who knows the metabolic breakdown and he or she knows exactly what, you know, the, what, let me see what else you're, you're taking Bev. What other, you know, oh, wait a second, you're a diabetic too on top of that. And, oh, and I'm using you as an example, but you could, it could be, it could be Jennifer. Jennifer has diabetes. She has pain. She has Crohn's disease. She has kidney stones. Um, she's going through this. She's on way too many meds already where the pharmacist is like, wait a second, maybe if I make an adjustment, you go from 12 meds to eight meds and I need to get you on a vitamin and I need to get you on like a pharmacist, like a, like a, you're like the lab and they're like this chemist because they know the, they know the breakdown. They know the interactions. They know the you know what I mean? And if you had that person along the way, yeah, you could have you could have had them be your fighter because you're their patient, so they're supposed. Yeah, to I mean, and it, that would be amazing because at this point, the way it is in healthcare is the patient feels like everyone around them assumes we're lying. We feel like everyone around us. Um, is going to treat us as though everything we say is a lie, that we're going to try to get out of whatever it is they think they're trying to catch us in. Um, and we can't trust any of them. I mean, it's really it, it's really broken down to that. And I do want to say about this evidence-based, the CDC guidelines are not based on evidence. I mean, right on their own website, they break it down. And it's like, I think they did like one through four. It's like, it's, it's little to no evidence for the majority of their guidelines. Um, especially the ones that are are like dose specific and things like that. They use evidence-based when it benefits them to say evidence-based. And then 
when it doesn't, you know, then their opinion counts. So I just, I do need to say that because, you know, they, they used to say this, we don't have studies to show that opioids work for chronic pain long-term, which was true. And that morphed somehow into studies show opioids don't work for chronic non-cancer pain long-term. And those are two totally different things. But that's what it's done and the media has repeated it. So now everyone thinks it's true. Remember when we talked about, <clears throat> before we started recording, we started talking about Dope Sick, that movie on yeah. Hulu with yeah. Michael Keaton, who that was an awesome movie. If you haven't watched that movie and you're a healthcare provider, you're a pharmacist, you're a physician, you have to watch Dope Sick. And you and I, I mean, we already talked about they had to make Hollywood, you know, they they had to make it palatable to the consumer. So it it was really good acting, really good writing. Not everything in that is evidence-based either. It's not like they well, gave us- You know us who the medical consultant was, right? Yeah. Right. You know who they consulted? No. Andrew Kaladin. He well, there was you their go. medical consultant. I, uh, but that's just my point. So yeah. what, but it still came through, even though that was his influence in yeah. certain ways of bat making the big bad um, Purdue, the, it's just storytelling. Right. It was storytelling yeah. in some ways, right? Right. But there was a narrative yeah. that was ultimately delivered to the consumer Yes. to make them think something specific because yes. it's the control of minds based on movies and storytelling. Yeah. And you and I know that that's part of America and, and who and what we are. But I still believe in evidence-based medicine as long as it's challenged. And I'm going to give you an example. Okay? okay. We know that Purdue influenced the, the FDA yeah. And they influenced ultimately the DEA and the CDC and all of the trickle down federal governments who consult together and have every right to to double. But they should be they should literally be double checking each other, not just going along with the flow. Every yeah. single one of those organizations should challenge the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not saying that they don't, but we came up with some kind of a narrative of that movie that. Purdue was evil, and, mm -hmm. and I think they were. They were um, all about the money. They were not about health care. They were about money, just like the PBMs, and we can talk about that too. And not all PBMs, but I'm just saying, and not all facets of PBMs. I'm saying there's there's facets inside them that they're after money, and they're not delivering good health care. They're not delivering the health care that we need, nor was the system that – was built for pain care and Purdue because that was all about money. It wasn't about proper health care because I still believe that if during pain management, Bev, we could get an extra provider to really double check everything because yeah. in your review of your prescription, your prescription comes in, it goes through something called first check. It goes through something called second check. It goes through a final check. Like the far, that's why your prescription takes so freaking long to get. Like you're always like, why can't they take the little, you know, little pills from one big bottle and put it in a small bottle and blah blah. Well, the reason yeah. why is because the freaking pharmacists they're like dissecting data and digging into medical records and make sure you're not going to die and all that stuff. So imagine inserting that pharmacist that wants to do that. Like they like that kind of stuff. They really like yeah. digging in. We insert them into your pain management specifically. Yeah. We pay them to dig into your treatment to make yeah. sure that what you're on and what you should be on is not only monitored because they're the freaking pain experts. So let's have them monitor if it's opioids. Let's have them monitor opioids right. ongoing, which, by the way, there's more research that would come out of that. Oh, what do you know? Evidence based collection of data. Any anyway, we could do we could actually do go ongoing evidence based medicine, not just stagnant, not just. One thing comes out and now it's it's the policy that's put into place that's going to cripple how many people from a pain management. No, when I say cripple, I mean put you on your knees because you're in so much pain that right. now they've decided we're going to stop this opioid epidemic that we have. Therefore, let's only give a 10-day supply. Was that evidence-based, that decision? Like was that even evidence-based, that kind of policy decision just – to flex on the so-called 
big opioid epidemic? Like, No, none of it was evidence-based. I just did a whole paper on MME and um, milligrams of morphine equivalent and where it came from and where this idea of a threshold came from. And it, it was made up. 100 MME was made up out in Washington when they were making their guidelines. That was lowered to 90 MME. The same people who did that worked with the CDC. It was made up. It was not based on anything. They, they supposedly used their you know, best guess to come up with some kind of threshold. And um, so that's where they got it. And, and you know, by the way, there are at least like four different ways to determine MME. So what might be 30, you know, morphine milligram equivalent with one scale is like maybe 70 with another. So none of it is even standard or, or truly evidence-based at so all. I'm going to whip out some evidence-based uh, knowledge here just to bring that to the conversation because we commit that to our listeners that we're not just you know run amok per se we're gonna right. reference the physician pharmacist collaboration may increase adherence to opioid addiction yeah. treatment report yeah. which came out on like i said monday january 11th and there's a in the second paragraph bev it reads most people with opioid use disorders who would benefit from medication do not receive it. Buprenorphine is a safe, effective medication that has been used in opioid addiction treatment for nearly two decades, but providers must complete training and receive a special waiver in order to prescribe buprenorphine to treat opioid use disorder. Yeah. So, all right. And then it goes on to say about fewer than 10% of primary care providers are authorized to prescribe buprenorphine. So let me take a time out. <laughs> Because remember, I was in opioid usage disorder in that industry for four years, so I actually know what I'm talking about. Director of Strategy of New Season, second largest supplier of medication-assisted treatment in the country. I think they have 86, 89 centers. By the way, you know what they're missing is pharmacists because they started a small pharmacy program, but it's not certainly not in, in enough of their centers. So we have this evidence-based information that's been backed or not it's a news release it's not evidence-based but they're basically referencing treatment and people aren't even receiving the treatment okay yep. and there's no one monitoring the treatment and we don't have enough physicians that are even specialists in the treatment yep. right so why don't we have more physicians that drill down into truly treating patients that are suffering with fill in the blank pain man you know true pain management and they just get a waiver and i don't know how long that study is i want to say isn't it like isn't it like a two to four hour course to get your certification for buprenorphine I, I think it used to be eight hours but i think they did away with that x waiver anyway didn't they recently i thought they did maybe they didn't but, but what i'm saying is don't you want someone who really understands yeah. the treatment and let's yeah. fill in the blank it with don't, yeah. Wouldn't you like it to be evidence-based that actually yes. has peer review and double yeah. checks and balances? And, and aren't you paying for that service? Yes. No, aren't you I'm paying not. for healthcare? I'm paying yeah. for healthcare right now. It's yeah. coming out of my paycheck every month. Yeah. Yeah. You're paying for it. So we're not get we aren't, we don't get what we, no. what we pay for and it's being not overlooked. So yeah. I'm still staying evidence-based and I still back our physicians, I still back our pharmacists, I still back our amazing nurses, shout out to nurses, are like Absolutely. the angels of of healthcare in many ways. And yes. but if but if we fail to keep the human in this yes. and stop being um pulpity, stop climbing on your pulpit in order to get the next Forbes article or CNBC, yeah. um, you know, news um, opportunity yeah. to to make yeah. your star shine brighter, like yeah. dig into what the patient is going through and be yeah. required to get the patient involved in treatment regimen once yeah. every X number of patients. Like it yeah. should be it should be every patient, Bev. Yeah. But I'm I'm not going to be unrealistic when the healthcare system's forcing physicians to see more patients in a day just to make their money than what they should be seeing. It should be probably less and it should be longer consults. Um, yeah. You have a serious pain. You, you have a serious disorder. You said it was Crohn's disease. Yes. 
So you have this serious disorder that requires specialty meds and specialty care and special. And if you think your so-called specialist in Crohn's disease, which may be wonderful, I don't know, he or she or whatever, but they need to spend time with you to understand what you're literally going through so that they can track it and use that data later for the next patient to be able to accelerate or decelerate or change or manipulate. I was talking to IBM Watson Health, Bev, about um, artificial intelligence quickly bunching up as much data as possible to get better knowledge of what the patient actually goes through with regards to outcomes, because that's that's what outcomes are. It right. outcome is what's in the best interest of the patient's health, as well as how they feel, how their behavior health has been impacted, how you know how how did this all make you? Let's take the pain off the table. Yeah. Let's pretend you were let's pretend you were pain free, and let's yeah. just say how did it make you feel from a respect perspective. Yeah, I felt completely disrespected. I felt completely, sh I felt shame. I felt ashamed. Like, um, I just felt, I felt like I was being victimized all over again. And there's no way to explain what it did to me as far as not trusting doctors and healthcare again. Like even to this day, um, I'm terrified to go to the hospital if I have to. And there was, there is something I want to say. I want to make this point that the way they've set up the system, especially of, you know, doctors are afraid to prescribe their medical board or the DEA, whatever reason, they're terrified. Um, you know, there's more risk mitigation thing, whether it's right or wrong, if there is pill counts and urine screens and contracts and they get more and more extreme. I will tell you that the way they've set it up, patients can't be honest with our providers. Like if, if a patient goes to their doctor and they're like, I'm on this pain medicine, it doesn't seem to be working as well. What can I do? The answer is, I'm dismissing you as a patient. If they come in and they say, look, I'm in too much pain, nothing else is helping. What can you, I'm dismissing you as a patient. I mean, by, everything- By the way, by the way, Bev, you and I just said this before we started talk, before we started recording. Yeah. If they ran with every single pain management patient on the face of the nation, yeah. every single mm -hmm. one, if they yeah. got a pharmacogenomics test yeah. to be able to tell that physician and pharmacist team what you were going to metabolize and what you weren't going to metabolize and how fast you'd break it down. And they hand that data after the physician gives it a once over, they hand it to the pharmacist literally, and the pharmacist gets to truly dig into what medication is, is going to work for you yeah. as designed. There you go with having to double check thing. I mean, yeah. try things over and over again. Like, why are you trying? Why is the word try in my medicine? Like, why are you, you're, I'm, 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 I have a, let me say uh, I'm severely depressed and you're going to put me on Zyprexa. Are you just, are you just guessing that Zyprexa right. is going to work for me? Or yeah. did you run this PGX test that would say to yeah. you as my physician, oh, what do you know? This is, this medicine's not going to even work for Todd because he doesn't metabolize it right. Hey, let's get this information over to the pharmacist. Hey, pharmacist. Tell me what medication would work for this for Todd. Like, but why is that not part of regular routine care? I have I why why are I mean I could I could launch the biggest um, multi suit um, against the entire healthcare profession, starting yeah. with you know the insurers and I mean it, it would be crazy if you brought together every person that's ever taken a medication that it, it, it had some kind of major adverse reaction yes. and you came together and you got like 2 million, 4 million people that went through that to yes. put a class action suit against the entire healthcare industry because you didn't run your PGX test to even ensure that yes. I was going to metabolize the medic because the technology yes. is now here, yes. here and it doesn't cost $2,200 per test like it used to. I think the test, I, I want to say the average PGX test. Now, I haven't, I haven't researched this to be honest for like two years now, but okay. I want to say it's down to like between four and six hundred dollars per test. Wow. I mean, I have heard some pain patients say that. I don't know if it's the same test you're talking about that their doctor give them a test to see which medicines they metabolize and which medicines yes, they don't. That's exactly. And that's right. been very helpful because it, again, like a, a doctor say gives you hydrocodone and you feel like it's not helping at all, and you go to your doctor. 
you're drug seeking. I'm dismissing you from the practice. I mean, that's just the way it is. And now we have, we really have millions of, I'm talking medically abandoned patients. Now I'm not talking who can't find pain medication. I'm talking who can't find a doctor. If you're taking opioids and your doctor dismisses you, if your doctor retires, if DEA or medical board takes your doctor out, whatever reason, you cannot find another doctor. That's the major, or that's like really the majority of the patients that we, we, we get called who are so desperate. They're like, I don't know what to do. And then they go to the emergency room. And when you have signs in the emergency room saying, we don't treat chronic pain patients, and then you get kicked out. And so I've begged every single place I can think of, CDHC, FDA, medical boards, every place I could think of in my state, in the country, nobody is doing anything to find continuation of care for, for abandoned pain patients. Nobody. No one. They're just not. And so what did they do? We had a pain patient who was dismissed. She went to the street to find what she thought was pills and she died because it had illicit fentanyl in it. And so they're setting up a system for people to go to the streets and there's no place for, for pain patients to go. There really isn't. No doctor's going to take Absolutely. us and I don't blame them. Because it's just, uh, it, it's never, they've never relied on the full cycle of medication, treatment, counseling to really fuse it together to get all the providers that are accessible to you you know my health is enough that if i have an issue if i had crohn's disease and i was suffering with pain or or kidney stones and and suffering with pain i want a counselor accessible to me a pharmacist my primary care physician a specialist that understands kidney stones um what else is there? Just, I mean, keep the list going, but I deserve that in order yeah. to do it the first time the correct way. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Guessing, yeah. guessing, 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 guessing. Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, and, and again, if you, if, if I'm depressed because I have kidney stones and I can't leave my house and I miss my kid's soccer game and I'm depressed and I tell my doctor I'm feeling sad, they will dismiss you from the practice. Mine probably wouldn't, but a lot of doctors will stop They'll stop prescribing opioids if you're depressed. So you can't tell them you're depressed. I mean, I don't, I don't think that these people see how ironic this system is, the way they've set it up. It's like the least successful model. I'm not a doctor, but I, I talk to a lot of patients and I've been a patient for a lot of years. Nothing about the way it's going right now is working. It is so broken. It, it, something needs to change. So I, I really appreciate you having a patient perspective because oh we can't beg media to talk about it. No, no media will cover our stories or like sporadically here and there, but um, this is great. Um, I'm excited. I will tell you that I have not found a sponsor yet for the pharmacist and physician opioid collaborative, which is our series that we're on right now. Bev has honored us being the fourth episode of this series Whatever I get for this series, Bev, I'm um, donating to your association. So um, it's going to take me some time. I'm going to go out and we're going to find a sponsor for the series, but I'm going to dedicate that to you and in your your foundation. Wow. That's, I don't even know what to say. That's amazing. Thank you. Because I think this is going to help us. We're going to help gather more stories. We're going to help get more educated patients that we can we can honestly tap into their experiences in order to help that next patient understand not only what what their perspective is on their own health care but more importantly let's teach them the power of their pharmacist to understand that if you go out and find a community pharmacist or that special hospital you know consultant pharmacist or somebody that's just nerdy and loves medication management and wants to dig into it and ultimately the most important part truly wants to help patients those pharmacists are out there there's 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 jackass pharmacists just like there is you know the yeah. beautiful ones because we're all human beings just like there's probably asshole podcasters like me out there or maybe i am one and i don't realize it but what, but what i am saying is it's it's your turn as the as the patient to start driving policy and to start driving a narrative because why can't we be part of policy we get to vote on well 
someone say some might say yes we do no we don't who knows that's another podcast but we as a as the united states of america we get to vote on our president or our elected officials or you know our state representatives our mayors our okay so we should have a vote in our policy creation we should. And I, you know, I've tried every way I can. I live in North Carolina. Uh, we have an opioid task force that is run by uh, the head of the medical society. So I reached out to the head of the medical society and I said, look, I'm a patient advocate. Please help us get our patient voice out there. Can I come to your meetings? Can I sit on the board? How do we get involved? His answer was, this isn't the, this isn't the place for you and your dilemma is what he told me. And I was like, my dilemma, what are you talking about? I get emails from people all the time that they're wanting to commit suicide because they're in so much pain. I didn't, I don't know what to tell them. And he went on to tell me how their, um, whatever program they're doing here for addiction is working so well. And I was like, so well, our overdoses are higher than they've ever been. What, and see, that's the problem. Their metric, their only metric is lowered prescribing. They don't measure patient outcome. They don't measure what the patients were happening to them. They measure lower prescribing and uh, they need to start involving patients' voices and measuring patients' outcome. See so what's you, happening. You need to make a commitment to me on the air. And I'm going to make the commitment too that after this podcast comes out, that you and I both send it to our prospective senators and state representatives. 100%. They hear this. So I'm going to send it to mine when it comes out. Absolutely. But they need to understand. Patients want their health care. They want to feel better. They want to live normal, as yeah. normal as possible. None of us are normal. I know I'm not. Um, <laughs> but we need to demand that our health care yeah. care for us because yes. it's our freaking health care. Like everybody wants health care reform. This is the reform. It's, right. it's patients' injection, well thought out well um positioned well you know asserted as well as having a voice in your healthcare. you know yeah. when did it start that you were allowed to even start seeing your medical file do you remember back in the day that patients weren't even allowed to see their medical record like I, mean, I think it's just recently didn't it wasn't it last year that they passed something that you have access to it but they still can charge you it's still not immediate you still have to order them I was just trying to help a pain patient. And that should be an open database. That should be an open username, password. Yes. You know. How about the PDM here, prescription database? We don't have access to that. And it's so many, if there's um, an error in it, we don't have access to even see it. Like you have to write away for it and then they send it to you and then you might check it to see. So yes, I think absolutely. We need to have a, we need to have real-time access to these things. My medical records, right after I see the doctor, my prescription database, so I can see if there's errors. Things like Nartare algorithms to see what it is that they're, you know, these things need to be out in the open. I need to know what's going into these risk scores. Like hiding it from the patient just doesn't seem right. It seems like right. everyone is talking about us, making decisions for us, and nobody even really cares what's happening to us or what we have to say about it. So I will tell you this, and this is not a plug, but there's a yeah. company called PharmaZam. Okay. Uh, PharmaZam. It sounds like Shazam, but it's a okay. PharmaZam.com. So they have an app that goes on your iPhone that when you take your PGX test and the oh, results wow. come back, they get uploaded to your iPhone in real time. Wow. So, Does insurance pay for it at all for this test, do you know? I don't think, I think they're getting to that point. Okay. But I don't think right now it is. That's um, phenomenal. That's but anyway, so when that when your results come back of your DNA test, it's a cheek swab. They they swab one side of your cheek. They swab the next side of your cheek. It gets sent into the lab. The lab yeah. delivers the results back to this app that your physician and your pharmacist have access to. Okay, wow. so that they can consult. Now, when you have an NDC, which stands for a National Drug Code, every single drug in the United States has one that it's a, it's a prescription medication that is, or actually I think, ev no, every medication has a, an NDC, regardless if it's over the counter or um, prescribed. That NDC comes up in the database and it goes back through your DNA to say to you on the screen, if you're gonna metabolize it or if you're, and it literally gives you the results, That's great. the patient the results, so that That's you could great. you could literally go into a 
drugstore or grocery store and you could scan a medication on the shelf, even over the counter ones, and it's going to start giving you metrics on how fast you metabolize and basically tell you if you should be on that med or not. And then it also gives you the ability to immediately contact your, not immediately, but it's like a, it's either an email or a call center or something that it gets you in touch with your physician or your pharmacist. If you have a, you know, a question um, or even electronic, I'm not sure, but regardless, that would put a lot more control hands of the patient than having a pharmaceutical product be pushed on you because they've been influenced or they're influencing physicians somehow. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And just the way you put that, that it gives patients some level of control. I mean, that's what we're looking for. Like we don't have, we have no say in anything. It feels very out of control. Um, It feels like all this is being done to us. So having that, that would be amazing. Having that information at our fingertips. That'd be great. You have to promise me that you're going to come back. I will. Absolutely. Okay. I've had a really good time. I appreciate it. I was nervous, but I appreciate, you did <laughs> I appreciate awesome. the sessions. If, is this your first podcast? Um, first podcast? No, maybe like the first big one. I was on um, NPR. They did uh, the show That's 1A. Bigger. I would love to be as big as NPR. That's awesome. <laughs> it was just, a, it was actually live. So I was even more nervous. They had us on, they had me on because of the article about Mark's care and the story that happened to me in the hospital. That I was really nervous about. This isn't live, so I was less nervous. But other than that, yeah, this is basically That's awesome. So how do pharmacists that are listening right now and people that are listening right now, what's the right way to get a hold of you? You want them to use Twitter? Yeah, they can get either on Twitter. Um, my ha- Twitter handle is IBDGirl76. Um, I am the vice president of the doctor patient forum. We have a great website that we're trying to add content to all the time to get really accurate information out there. Um, the head of the, of uh, the doctor patient forum is Claudia Mirandi. She's also on Twitter, but yeah, you could reach me on Twitter. Send I'm on Facebook, me. but not as, as much. Send me all those links so that we okay. can put them in the show notes so that everybody listening right now can okay. click on those links That's and also good. collaborate with you as well as network with you. I know you're also on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I haven't quite figured LinkedIn out completely. So um, I, I miss messages and stuff, but I'm trying to figure it out better. I want to give a shout out to Stacy Hurt. Um, she's a Pittsburgher just like me. Uh, Steelers just got knocked out of the NFL playoffs, but I know oh. she's uh, hurting <laughs> like I am. Uh, wink, oh. wink, Stacy. But you are an amazing patient advocate too. I want you and Bev to eventually meet up. Um, oh. Stacy, um, is an amazing woman, Bev. I want you to kind of network with her eventually and just read about what she's done in patient advocacy. Her um, son uh, suffers with a a specialty disease and and she's gone through some healthcare issues herself. So she's really, and her background is business uh, development and understanding um, uh, the pharmaceutical marketplace because of her vice president status with a training and development of a therapeutics company. So just wow. having an insider that actually was wow. inside the pharma company stepping yeah. out and saying as a patient, hey, whoa, 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 time out with this, 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 and this, because we need to check ourselves before we keep yeah. wrecking the lives of others. How do you spell her last name? Hurt, H-U-R-T. Is she on Twitter, do you know? Uh, yes, she is. Okay, I'll look her up. So a shout out Thank for you. Stacey. Um, Bev, this has been an absolute honor. I thank you so much for coming on. Um, when we first um, met on Twitter, we had like a misunderstanding. I think yeah. you were thinking of some pharma sh- show or something like I that. I did, yeah. Well, not show, but I just, you know, <laughs> the whole thing is always addressed to the point of like everyone gives these people a platform. And so after a while, patients, and I'm sure you, I think you did say you got attacked by pain patients. Sometimes we're just like enough with the Andrew Kalani interviews and the and this stuff. But you were very, you were very kind and you explained to me what was happening. So. Absolutely. And really I want I want our healthcare system starts to start using their freaking pharmacists um, you know, more. And I just spelled freaking yeah. with a PH. It was P H R I C K I N G. So freaking. <laughs> freaking. I said wait, can I say something that I forgot to say just to put this at knees? I am not industry funded just for anyone who who feels that the whole reason why I'm out here speaking about this is because I'm getting paid to do so. I'm not. 
I don't take money from pharma or a very small nonprofit. I just wanted to make that clear before that's what was like said. A, <clears throat> excuse me, like a disclosure. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I feel like I need to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're definitely going to have you back. We're going to have to just stay in in contact and we'll tweet yes. this. We'll LinkedIn it. We'll um, get it out on Instagram. I have a Facebook for us too. I don't use Facebook as much, but regardless, Bev, thank you so much for being the voice of the patient today. Thank you so much for having me.